this morning we are so happy to have you guys here worshiping with us and just like one of my favorite longs one of my favorite lines in that song is when it says that in the sun or rain my life celebrates so whether I'm in the pit or in the palace I'm still celebrating because I know it is comforting to know that my God is good no matter what and that he is for me no matter what so I just encourage you to press in this morning and remember no matter where you're at no matter what you came in with that God is still fighting for you and that he is with you 
your heart Now I surrender, take me This is all I can Give him a hand clap of praise. We bless your name, Jesus.
I've tried to divide, but nothing can hide the power that we found. You are walking with us, and all of the world is turning to dust. They are falling down. Sing praise, we sing praise. We feel the skies with songs from our hearts. Sing praise, we sing praise till enemies know how faithful you are. Sing praise, 
seated this morning. The ushers are going to serve you with communion. We're going to continue to worship together.
on television and if you just do what they say live the life they're living you're going to be happy and fit in but I'll tell you what you live the life you see on TV and the movies and you're in big big trouble today and most of us have walked down that pathway but I'm here to tell you today Jesus Christ takes our shame he takes our guilt come on he takes our punishment and that's what we remember in the Lord's Supper the Lord's Supper reminds us of the fact that Jesus had a meal with his disciples just before he went out to give his life for the world on the cross we use the word communion. Communion means fellowship or fellowship with God. This is a fellowship meal in the sense that there was a huge separation between man and God after Adam got kicked out of the Garden of Eden when he sinned. And there was a wall that was built. Well, guess what? Jesus built the bridge over the wall. It's like we were alienated from God. And now we can have true fellowship with God because of Jesus Christ. And that's what we remember today. But I was asking the Lord yesterday. I was working out in the yards a pretty day. And... I was asking the Lord if there any special emphasis perhaps in our communion. And I believe I heard the Holy Spirit say to remind the people that I'm faithful. Say it again. Remind the people that God is faithful. He's faithful to keep his word. He's faithful to keep his promise. He said he'd never leave you, never forsake you, but always be with you any minute. He said he started the good work in us from Philippians. He who began the good work in us, he'll bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. When I am faithless, Scripture says, he remains faithful. And I just want to give you an opportunity, just a moment, for personal ministry. Perhaps you're here today and you're in a time of life, you're in a very stressful time, a difficult time. And it's hard to keep faith when you're in a difficult time. How many know that? I mean, if you've got your health, if you've got money and family's doing good, it's easy to say, I believe God. But when you're in the fire, when you're under pressure, it's hard sometimes to keep faith. And I fully understand that. Last six months, I have been struggling with something going on in my body. I've never had gone before a chemical imbalance. And I'll tell you what, it has just beat me. I found myself, it's been several weeks ago, but I was just weeping in my wife's arms, just asking God to help me. Now, I'm better today, but, but sometimes it's just hard to hang on. 
and particularly if it's a long time. So God is faithful. He started the good work. He'll bring it to completion. He told his disciples that he was going to be spit upon, beaten, killed, put in the ground. But then he said, I'm rising from the dead. I want to tell you, he keeps his word. But if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm in a, I'm in a pretty difficult time right now myself. And it's kind of hard to hang on to faith. But I want to believe God today that God is going to do something supernatural in me. That he's going to help me endure while I'm in it, but help me get to the other side as quick as possible. But I, I want, while I'm taking communion today, I want the faith of God's people to believe with me that I'm going to go through this thing strong as a Christian. That's you. I want you to just stand to your feet right now. And we're just going to believe God with you as we receive communion today. God is a miracle-working God. He's a God that keeps his promises. They're yes and amen. Paul said these words, I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. He said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And before we receive it, I want you to think about the fact it was even hard for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus said, hey, this thing is so difficult. Heavenly Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. In other words, I don't want to suffer like this. But nevertheless, not my will, but let your will be done. Can I tell you, he is our example of a faithful God. And Lord, as we stand before you today, particularly my friends that are standing with me, Lord, all of us that are in this room today, as we hold this portion of bread that reminds us of what Christ endured, I want to pray for something supernatural to come upon us. That when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we won't stop in the middle of it, but we'll go through. That we will somehow just keep putting wood on the fire of our faith. And every day our relationship with you will go strong and you will see us through the other side. Just as the Father caused life to come into your dead body, so too life is coming to us. And I bless everyone that's standing today. I pray that their faith would be energized. I just release the gift of faith in this place right now, that we would stand believing God and see God do miracles and have great testimony to bear. So we bless this bread today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In the same manner, Jesus took the cup after supper, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now let me tell you a couple things we remember in communion. First, the color of this juice reminds us of the blood of Christ that was shed for our sins. It tells us sin is a serious thing, but it also tells us forgiveness is a wonderful thing available to us. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Second thing, as I look at this, I'm reminded that I'm to forgive other people the way that I've been forgiven. That's what Jesus said, because if I don't, he won't forgive me. So today, if there's people in your life, the ones that have hurt you, done you wrong, lied to you, taken advantage of you, let's turn them over to Jesus today and just say, God bless them and not hold on to them any longer. This cup reminds me today, too, the Bible says, I overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Come on, by the word of our testimony, which we love not our lives unto death. 
And the last thing this cup tells me is what we just read, that Jesus is coming back again one day. That we're not just plain church and this is not just empty religion. Jesus is coming back one day. We lift our cup to heaven today and say, Lord, let us be found faithful when you return. When the trumpet sounds, let me be all in for Jesus on that great day. Lord, bless this cup now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Somebody say praise the Lord. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to sing one more chorus here. you thankful that he takes our brokenness and makes it beautiful. Amen. Well, why don't you give him a hand clap of praise. He's worthy. And turn around to your neighbor and two or three people you don't know and tell them how happy you are to see him in God's house. on the rock. We are so glad you're here worshiping with us. In the back of the chair in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look is going to give you everything that you need to know about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide is going to give you plenty of opportunities for you to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. And if you're a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you. Drop it in the offering, or you can bring it across the hall to the Connect Room where you'll get a free gift bag. Don't forget about Saturday night meals and snacks in between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe. And the coffee bar is always open. We are so glad you are here. And we hope that you know there is always a place for you at Church on the Rock. 
I should invite him to church. I mean, what could happen? <laughs> yeah, let's go to church. I'm Jewish. What are you saying? What's wrong with me? Yeah. Just yesterday I was thinking I wanted to get up really early in the morning, go hear stories about old dead guys. Dude, let's do it. Let's knock it out. Yeah, totally. Let me check my calendar and make sure I'm clear for that. Delete. Yeah, dude, let's go to church. Let's party it up at church. What? What? I should invite him to church. I mean, what could happen? Hey, you want to check out church with me on Sunday? Cool. Your fingerprint. No one else in the world has it. It's 100% you. God made you unique for a reason. And here at Church on the Rock, we want to help you be the best you. Our ministry guide is full of over 70 different classes, life groups, and outreaches that range from Bible studies to hot rods to crocheting. Our groups give you a chance to connect with people who care about you while going deeper in your walk with God in an environment that fits you. Check out our ministry guide for a complete list of our classes, life groups, and outreaches. And go to churchontherock.org to see a video description of each life group. Church on the Rock, a place for you. Anybody out there blessed and highly favored? Good to have you at church today. Hey, several things going on tonight. At 5 o'clock, there's the healing room. Just starting that. You can just come. People are going to pray for you and just believe for healing, whether it's emotional or physical. And then we got prayer from 6 to 7 right after that. So uh, if you don't mind coming out in the rain, it's going to be good. We continue worship, Lord, with our tithes and offerings. But you saw in that video about inviting somebody. There's that little card you got. Believe in the off in your, your um, what do you call that little thing we get with the information in? The bulletin, yeah. But if you don't have them, would you hold your hand up? We want to get one. Our ushers will bring them to you. So ushers, if you'll get some of these cards here, if they're holding up a hand. and uh, But on the back of there, first it's believe. You're going to believe for people to come to Jesus Christ. And just start writing names of people on the back of there. Write names on the back of there. Be praying for them. And then we're coming to this event uh, the end of March. And invite, invite, and bring them if necessary. Uh, we're going to see great things happen. In 1 Peter 2, 5, the offering scripture says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. When you give an offering, you're doing something spiritual. It's a sacrifice, and you're doing it under the Lord. But it says we're living stones. The church is made up of what? People, right? It's not sticks, stones, and mortar, but the church, it, God decided to build with living stones, so it's alive. And I don't know if you've ever heard people say that, um, you know, my church is always asking for money. I wish I could belong to a church that never asked for money. Well, the thing is, something that's alive needs finances. It needs resources. It needs people that sacrifice and give. If something's dead, it doesn't really need any sacrifices, does it? It doesn't need anything to keep it alive. Matter of fact, if somebody accuses your church of uh, needing and calling for money, call it as a compliment. 
and say, hey, let's praise the Lord because we're a part of something that's alive. We're reaching people. We're not a dead organization where the glory of God is left. And it's exciting to see people coming to the Lord, especially this month we're going to see people come to the Lord. The expansion we're doing with Imagine More, making more room for people. But maybe this whole story here will help you kind of uh, just kind of lock into that. There was a man talking to another father about how much money he's spending on his son, going to college, all the books, the tuition, the lunch, all the stuff. It was just adding up to a lot of money. And the other guy didn't really seem like he felt sorry for him. He says, you know, my son doesn't cost me a cent. I haven't spent a dime on him for over two years. He said, well, how's that possible? He said, well, my son passed away two years ago, and I wish I could spend money on him. Something alive takes money, doesn't it? Amen. And I just thank God for church. It's a giving church. So let's pray and just continue to make an impact in this city and in this nation. Father, we thank you that you're alive, that you chose to build a church with people that are alive. And Lord, we want to take this time to honor you, to say we love you, and I ask you to bless each person in here, Lord. We can continue to make a, a great impact on this city and in the nations. In Jesus' name, God bless you. It seems like all I could see was the By a ghost that leave me my path. I was bound up in shackles of all my failures. Just wondering how long is this gonna last? Let's stand and sing one last time. This prisoner and say to me, son, stop fighting the fight that's already been won. Cause I am a redeemed. You set me free. So I'll shake off these heavy chains. Wipe Praise the Lord, that word redeemed. Like going to the pawn shop, you give them your whatever, your gun, they give you a piece of paper. When you want it back, you go in with that piece of paper and the money and you say, I want it back, I'm redeeming it. That's exactly what Jesus did. Come on on the cross for us. He brought us back from the power of Satan and darkness and evil. And that's why we're worshiping him. Come on, give him a big hand today. The Lord Jesus is worthy of all of our praise today. Majestic and awesome God. Praise the Lord. Give your neighbor a high five. Tell them they're looking good. And you may be seated. Hey, turn your Bibles. Matthew 13, verse 44. We'll be making our way there. I missed you last week. I was, my wife and I were out of town. We were in New Orleans looking at a Bible college and seminary to maybe start an extension here. We, uh, we went to, the, it was during the Mardi Gras, and we went to the Mardi Gras event on Bourbon Street. Saw many of you there. No, I didn't. But we were on Bourbon Street with 400 college students that were witnessing, and it was the wildest thing I've been a part of in quite a while. But uh, anyway, I'm really excited about this Bible college as a potential. People that want to go in the ministry, people that want a legitimate college degree, uh, uh, it's uh, got the national accreditation, so anything FAFSA could give you, this would come our way. But the neat thing is, is it's uh, based on a technology in the sense it's a virtual classroom. 
There may be a Ph.D. teaching church history in California, and he's got students all over the country or even the world, and uh, we're meeting in a classroom here, and the students can interact with the teachers. So we're pretty excited. We're going to do a little more research on it, but uh, again, we just need some space. I can't do one of those things in a nursery. So thanks for giving towards the Imagine More, and uh, we just believe God for a great future. Well, again, turn in your Bibles, Matthew 13, verse 44. It's words that Jesus told us when he said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again, buried it in the ground, covered it with leaves, and he sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy that field. Well, Jesus told us, if you'll look in Matthew's gospel in about half a dozen parables, what his kingdom is like, the place of his rule, his dominion, what the people that follow him, how they behave. And in this case, God's kingdom is treasure. It's the most important thing there is, is what Jesus is saying. And basically, Jesus is saying, look, no matter when God asks us to do something, no matter what the cost is, whether it's hardship or sacrifice associated with it, what Jesus is saying, come on, it's going to be worth it because in the end, you're going to get more than you paid. And that's what this series I've been doing called All In has been about. Uh, I have, without, uh, without hesitation, been endeavoring to challenge you to a serious commitment in your Christian life. We've called it All In, kind of a little reminder here. We've got a few more of these left in the lobby if you want one. But the reminder is, is that the Lord doesn't want me just living a shallow Christian life, but I'm to go all in with my, ta- my, my time, my talent, and my treasure. If you're playing poker and you have a good hand and you want to do a big bet, you just do like that with your chips. Well, what we do as a Christian is we give God our time, our talent, and our treasure, and he uses it to do something good in the world around us, and that's kind of what the idea of All In is about. Because the Christian life is serious, friends. We may not realize it, but if you're a Coptic Christian in in Egypt, you realize it this week. When the Muslims beheaded 20 Christians, you saw perhaps the videos, it was rampant out there, 20 Christians, and they were told to bow on their knee, and if they did not uh, renounce Jesus and embrace Allah and Muhammad, embrace the prophet, then they would be killed, and they killed every one of them, and they witnessed to them as they died. I want to tell you, there's a seriousness about being a Christian that's elusive to us in America, but America is changing Christians are losing religious freedom at an alarming rate in America today. Christians are losing their job simply because on Facebook they place a post that says they believe marriage is to be between a man and a woman. We live in a world today where we are way beyond the government not just wanting to have manger scenes on the courthouse at Christmas time, but there is an increasing attack. 800 documented cases last year, the Alliance Defending Freedom found. 1,800 cases where Christians were persecuted, losing job, losing different things because they simply stood for Christ. So what I'm trying to do as your pastor, I, I, I don't want to just preach dessert every Sunday. I want to give you some meat and potatoes, something to help you live your life in case you go through a difficulty or a challenge in life. Well, that's been the series. Uh, Today, I'm going to talk about why we should be all in, why I should be serious in my Christian life, why I should give God my time, my talent, my treasure. And it's as simple as this. Life on earth is a warm up for eternity. Let me say it again. Life on earth is a warm-up for eternity. Eternity and heaven are real. Uh, if you, how many saw the Super Bowl game? 
Boy, I did. It's the best game I've seen in a long time. Well, I guarantee you this. The New England Patriots, when they won, when they were practicing last fall, I bet you their coach was trying to challenge them to be a team that could win the Super Bowl even before the season began. Uh, if you want to play in the Super Bowl on game day, that's glorious. I mean, you know, if you're the MVP, that's a glorious thing. But let me know, you don't just start on Super Bowl day. You start in the fall, and the coach is constantly saying, if we'll just get all in this season, we've got the talent, we've got the ability, but if we'll be all in in our practice, all in in our games, I believe we can win the big game. And you know what? They did it for a ring, a Super Bowl ring. Tom Brady got a truck that he gave away to the guy that got the interception. All that was great, but you know what? We're doing what we do for Christ for an eternal kingdom. Come on. It's not a ring that's not going to last very long or be forgotten next, next few weeks, but we're doing it for the eternal kingdom of God, and God promises to reward us if we're all in. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. So I want to talk to you this, this morning about heaven, our reward for being all in, about a real place called heaven. I'm going to answer three questions about heaven. First of all, basically, what is heaven? I bet you're going to learn something. Secondly, what is heaven like? And number three, what will we do in this place called heaven? Now, as we prepare, well, I found a little video that I want you to see. It was about a Christian who died, an out-of-body experience, and says that he went to heaven. It was an interview on CBN. I want you to look at it kind of to whet your appetite, and uh, then we'll be back to the Bible. I couldn't catch my breath. It was getting shallower and shallower, and I can remember saying to myself, I am dying. And then his blood pressure dropped. And I looked at the doctor and I said, what's wrong with him? His heart stopped. At times, the unit was in chaos as they worked to save Dean's life. But he was experiencing something very different. I wasn't afraid. It was like, I'm going home. Dean believes he went to heaven. When I first entered in, it was just bright. It wasn't so much what I saw as much as what I experienced. The first thing I perceived was everything is right. There's nothing wrong here. And I said, it's past peace. You know, there's a scripture in the Bible in Philippians, the fourth chapter, that says, peace past understanding. That's what's going on there. We got a pulse. Dean says he felt like he was being pulled back into his body. Then he flatlined a second time. Again, he was in heaven. This time, he saw Jesus. The first thing that comes to me is he's bright, just like John says, he's brighter than the noonday sun. And the next phrase I say, I wish people could grab it, and it's this one, and we can look at him. And what you're looking at is not so much the physical part of it, you're really experiencing the love he has for you. And I tell people it's, it's like he only loves you and no one else. I saw him communicating to angels. He would just look at them. Communication there was thought to thought. They would acknowledge his receiving his information, bow before him like this, and then back out. And it was like, whoa. Dean admits he didn't want to come back. 
And I don't tell you the truth, I was happy. I was planning on staying, you know, and people always say, yeah, you know, didn't you love your wife and your children? Yes, I loved them probably more than I ever could. But I was thinking, you come here, you come here where everything is right. And yet, on the other side of Jesus was my family, my grandmother Mary, but with her were other relatives. And some I had recognized, I had been on this planet when they were here. But then there was generation after generation after generation after generation of those that accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that helped to produce me on this planet. They came to greet me in and it was like, God. Wow, my ancestors came to greet me into heaven. Well, that's a Christian. You may be a skeptic and say, well, yeah, that's what he would think because he was scared to death and hallucinating. Maybe. Maybe not. I debated about showing another video. It was from a non, an unbeliever. His name is Eben Alexander. He was a Harvard-trained neurosurgeon, and he unexpectedly had a medical condition that brought him to the hospital coma, and he died, and he turned out writing a book about heaven, about what he saw. But I don't base what I believe about heaven or anything else on what people say, very important, but on what the Bible teaches. And I would suggest to you that every person, even the avowed atheist, in the back of their mind hopes that there's a heaven because when they go to the cemetery and they bury their mom or they bury their kids, there's something inside saying, is it just possible that I could see them again? And that same atheist or agnostic would, when they face death, they may give you a real good argument on Facebook or, or they may strike you down as a Christian in the classroom, but when they're looking death straight in the face, I guarantee you, my friend, they're going to be thinking about God and hoping that heaven might be real, but more importantly, hoping that they're going to be able to get there. So let's talk about it today. I've entitled the message, Heaven's Worth It. And let's begin with these three questions. The first question, what is heaven? What is heaven? You want to stay with me? I've got a lot of scriptures this morning. And uh, actually, you can bring your iPad to church and download the notes. They're already out there and, and follow along if you like. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul the Apostle writes in a very humble way. He said, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Years ago, I believe there was only one place called heaven, but the Bible talks about three. Some Jewish scholars believe there, there were as many as seven places referred to as heaven. I'm going to stick with the New Testament and Old's teaching of three. But whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. In other words, Paul was saying, I don't know if my spirit left my body. I don't know if my body was transported. He said, it was so real. All I know is I was caught up to this third heaven. And then verse three, he says, I know this man was caught up into paradise. So third heaven and paradise, synonymous terms, describing the place where God dwells. Scripture says he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Now, Paul was literally raptured into the very presence of God, into a real place called heaven, the third heaven or paradise. This word rapture it comes from the same sense in Thessalonians where believers will be raptured to meet the Lord in the air. Where Philip, when he was preaching in Samaria, he witnessed to the Ethiopian eunuch and he was caught up. Uh, Enoch, when he was caught up to go and be with the Lord. Elijah, when he was transported in the chariot of fire. All these are referring to this same biblical concept. That, and, and Paul was raptured into God's presence. Now, when I said three heavens, some of you thought I'm leaving this church. The preacher's gone crazy. Now listen, the first heaven is the sky. 
The first heaven is the air above us. Go back and read in Genesis, the second day of creation. When God created the sky, the air, if you can imagine, you look up at a blue sky day, imagine that, that blue sky is a roof. And we're, what we're talking about here in, the, in our atmosphere is the first heaven. The second heaven is the star, are the stars and the universe and the universes. Everything out there that the Hubble telescope sees is the second heaven. But the third heaven is our primary concern. The third heaven is where God dwells. The third heaven is where Jesus went at the ascension. You remember after resurrection, he was ascended into the air, this sense of rapture. He was taken into the clouds. He went to this third heaven to be with the Lord. The Bible says that today Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He will leave the presence of the Father to come and receive us on, on, uh, when we are raptured. Uh, angels are in heaven. Christians who die are in heaven. You say, well, that's real nice preacher trying to make people feel good when grandma dies. No, I'm not. I just simply want to tell you, I'm doing that, but I'm simply trying to tell you that the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be. Yeah. And Paul said it was better. Hey, look, Paul said, I'd rather go and be with the Lord, but it's better that I stay with you. So the idea of soul sleep the idea that you just dissipate and cease to exist, the idea that you are somehow held in some semi-conscious state, not biblical. The spirit goes to be with the Lord and the body will one day be resurrected when the spirit comes back on, on resurrection day. Now, Nehemiah, you remember the prophet Nehemiah? He was uh, uh, the king's cupbearer. He wrote a book and he affirmed this second day of creation about God's creation of the heavens. Listen, Nehemiah 9, 6, hearkening back to the second day of creation in Genesis. He said, you alone are, are the Lord. You made the plural even the highest heavens, these are the stars, all their starry host. And then notice what he said, the multitudes of worship you. So who's that? Angels. So in this one little verse, theology that began in Genesis, the early chapters is embraced thousands of years later by believers that understand, have the same understanding of God. Now, in the rest of my message today, when I talk about heaven, I'm going to talk about the place where God dwells. I'm going to talk about the place where people who die go to be with the Lord. So let me jump in now. I'm going to give you half a dozen scriptures that describe what heaven is like. Because there's all sorts of movies that are made about heaven. And how many know you can't trust a movie any farther than you can throw it? I saw uh, the movie the other day, uh, Moses. And I thought, what am I watching? This didn't come out of the Bible that I read any more than the movie Noah that was made by Hollywood came out of the Bible that I read. It's, it's, it bears the worldview of the people that have it. But anyway, uh, what is heaven like? And here's the first and most important thing. Heaven is the place where God dwells. It is a real place. It is not fanciful. It is not made up. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9, you say, Our Father in yeah, hallowed be your name. First Kings 8.30, Solomon, when he dedicated the temple, he taught the people to pray this. And in their prayer, they made petition and said, Lord, hear from heaven your, your dwelling place. And then when you hear, forgive. So unquestionable in the pages of the scripture, a real place called heaven, and that's where God lives. But no telescope can find it because it's in another dimension. It is, it, is, it is outside the boundaries in the realm of time and space as you and I understand it. It is a different reality. 
And just as I can't visually see angels, the Bible tells me angels are with me. Just as I can't see demons, the Bible teaches demons are real. And in the same way, there is an unseen spiritual world. Now, here's the second thing the Bible teaches about heaven. Heaven is a place that has no pain. Now, I want you to think just a moment. If there's one thing that every one of us in this room have in common because we live in this earth, we have pain. Joe Cruz and his family has known a level of pain the last few years with their daughter with brain cancer. She was on the front page of the paper too, by the way, today. I hope you read that because you see that she talks about the Lord in her testimony. Look, if you're going to go through a test, you might as well have a testimony. Come on. If you're going to catch a football, you might as well point to heaven. I read a little blurb this week came out uh, in the Oscars. Nobody's thanking God anymore. The only people they're thanking are Steven Spielberg and other producers. Something's happened in America where people forget to give thanks to God. But, but in heaven, there will be no pain, no more operations. Many of you carry the pain of a divorce. You carry the shame of a, of a rape. You carry whatever. You carry affliction that your, your doctor cannot heal. Some of us have, were born with a deformed limb or something in our bodies that didn't work, we didn't fit in, and from the day of our birth, we've had pain. But I want to say, listen to what the Bible says. In a real place called heaven, Revelation 21, 4, he will wipe away every tear. God is the ultimate father. Come on, when the little girl comes and runs to mommy or daddy and sits on their lap with tears in their eyes, and I got a boo-boo daddy, and, and they got a little Band-Aid, and you put a dinosaur on that, and they wipe their little tears away, and you hold that little child, and the crying stops. We have a heavenly father that's going to do that for us one day. Come on. He's going to take all the owies away. He'll wipe away every tear. Come on, this should make you shout. There'll be no more death, no more funerals, no more, no more funeral homes, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Why? Because the old order has passed away. In other words, the broken mess that Adam and Eve gave us after the beautiful place called the Garden of Eden, all that's going to cease in the latter part of the book of Revelation, and heaven will be real because God says, seated on the throne, I am making everything new. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. And now look, here's something that you can prepare for today because your faithful service will be rewarded in heaven. Let me say it again. Heaven will be a faithful place that if you went all in for Jesus, you will be rewarded Let's read, read together uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. This written to Christians. We must all stand before Christ to be judged. You said, well, I thought he loved me. He does. This is not the great white throne judgment of Revelation 20. This is not the judgment of heaven and hell where some are cast into the lake of fire. This is a judgment of, Christian, of Christians. This is a judgment of our works. This is the day of accountability when God will hold us into account and ask the question, what did I do with what he gave me? What did I do with the time, the talent, the resource that he put into my hand? Notice what he says further. He says, uh, we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we've done in our earthly body. Now, this is not going to hell. But how many know the Bible teaches that some, when our works are judged, it's like a testing by fire, and our works will be burned up if they were wood, hay, and stubble, but yet we'll still be saved. And you say, well, yeah, well, at least I'll go to heaven, though. Yeah, that's just like telling a kid, uh, everybody else gets trophies but you. Come on. Everybody wants the trophy, and everybody wants the Super Bowl ring. Come on. Everybody wants the MVP. 
And God says, I'll reward you. You say, well, like for what, Pastor? The, the little card that Pastor Mike just briefly talked about, that was intended to be a, 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 a bookmarker for your Bible. Now, the sad thing is, when they clean up the church building after the services this weekend, they'll find a lot of those cards on the ground. A lot of people ignored an opportunity for a reward. There's nothing to do with our church. But we're having a big Sunday coming up in a few weeks with a New Testament evangelist. He's actually, he's an interesting combination. He, he, is, he has an earned uh, doctorate degree. He's the head of the evangelism department of the school we're looking at. But he has this ability when he casts the net for salvation, scores of people respond. I have a good friend, Pastor Jack Wickwire, who preached here. Great preacher, does great altar calls. But in his three weekend services in Fort Worth, and I believe I've got the number correct, they had like 150 to 175 people come and make steps to Christ on one weekend. Now listen, they had baptism on Sunday night, and almost 100 were baptized on Sunday night, and 45 more people came to Christ because they all brought their family and friends. I mean, it was a grace. Well, what if, what if you wrote someone in your family on that card? And you don't have to write six, just one person. I mean, we couldn't handle all that many people. But one person you care about. It could be your mom. It could be one of your kids. You could bribe them however you want to. It could be a neighbor. But if you brought that person to church, even if you had to pick them up, come on. Get up out of bed a little bit early, make a little Jesus sacrifice, brought them to church, and they answered the altar call, and their life turned around. Can I tell you, you have reward in heaven. Prayers that you pray, money that you give, these are things that God will honor. And heaven is a place where reward will be valued. And I don't know about you, but I want to hear Jesus tell me, well done. Yeah, good and faithful servant. Let me give you the fourth one. Heaven is the Christian's true home. I want you to stay with me on this one. Heaven is the Christian's true home. In other words, Hebrews 11 says this, verse 13 uh, Hebrews 11, the great chapter of faith. And these men and women said they were like visitors and. Now, isn't that the oddest thing? Some of the godliest people in the New Testament lived like they were a visitor on earth. And I do everything I can to make my house a home like I'm going to live here forever. Now, you don't do that, do you? I am telling you, I try to make my world so perfect and so secure, and I want everything just right in my house. I want it to just be as perfect as I can make it because it's my home. Listen, it's not our home. We are a stranger passing through, and if we hold on too tightly to the things of this earth, and if, we have a, and if you're standing before your boss one day, and your boss tells you, I don't ever want to hear a Christian word come out of your mouth again, and if you don't tell me today you will never pray again in this office, then you're fired. Well, if heaven is your home, come on, so you may have to make a little sacrifice here on earth, but listen, we're, this is not where we live permanently. God smacked me upside of the head. Uh, it has been several years ago. I had so many gumball trees on my place. It, it was like I was cursed. And, and, and I had used them for a season when I had kids. You know, you can, you know, that's how you can teach your kids a little bit about work, make them pick up gumballs. But then when I realized they're out of the house and my wife won't pick them up, then I'm going to have to pick them up. I cut those trees down. But, 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 but while I'm in this, you know, griping God prayer time and time, I felt the Lord tell me, would you just let this remind you that life on earth is not supposed to be perfect? Come on now. Life on earth, sometimes the extra hour, the extra week that you work is not worth it because it's taking away from eternal things. 
Heaven is our home. Listen, verse 14. When people say things like that they're a visitor and a stranger, they say that they're looking for a country that will be their own. Verse 16. But they were waiting for a better country, a That's right. Heaven is our home. So God has prepared a city for them. Now, this next one I think is my favorite. Christians will have a new body that won't wear out in heaven. No more spanks, ladies. My head will not get as cold. Come on, in the wintertime right up here. My wife has this picture of me when I was in my prime. I was about 18 and a, and a football picture, and I'm number 10, the quarterback, and I got the ball, and I'm standing there, and my head's, you know, I got this big old afro. And, and then I look in the mirror, and I say, Granddaddy, what are you doing in my house? <laughs> and you look in your medicine cabinet. When you were young and healthy, it, it had maybe just a small bottle of Tylenol, and now you go to Sam's, and you buy a gallon of Tylenol at a time because, <laughs> let me give you a promise. One day you'll have a new body that won't need all that stuff. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse one. We know that our body, listen, the tent we live in here on earth. What is a tent? It's not a permanent place to live, but this body is a tent. You want to blame somebody, blame Adam and Eve. It will be destroyed. In other words, you're going to get old and die. And I don't care how many supplements you take and how much you exercise. Hey, I got some liberty. Yesterday for one of my doctors, I, told, I was talking to her, and she said, uh, I said, yeah, I've been really trying to exercise more to get healthy. I do 30, 40 minutes on the elliptical in the morning, and then I do it at night. And she said, don't do it at night. You're just telling me you couldn't sleep. She said, I just read a study. If you're over 45, you're only supposed to exercise about 30 minutes in the morning, before one, or sometimes before 1 in the afternoon. And she just delivered me from half my exercise. So I was, I was kind of happy for that. But I don't care how much you exercise. At some point, you're going to get old and wear out. But when that happens, God will have a house for us. It won't be a house made by human hands. It'll be a home in heaven that will last. Now, look, if you're skeptical about the claims of Christianity, even the possibility of forever and heaven should cause you to make this step towards Christ. Uh, here's the last one, and this is kind of a cool summary. Heaven is better than anything I can imagine. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, Paul the apostle, who went to heaven, he said this. He said, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. Now, we're not talking about the entire human race. A lot of them don't want him, but for those that love him. I, don't, I want you to think just a moment about the most beautiful place you've ever seen on this planet. I know where the one that I remember, it's about 30 years ago, and we were driving across country, and we drove across a mountain range, and when we were driving down this road, nobody else was on this small road, and there was a lake over to the left, and, and it was as clear as crystal, there was no wind on it, mountains in the background, trees in the front, and the mountains in the lake looked as clear as the, mount, as the real mountains that were there. And, and, and we didn't have a phone. That was before iPhones. And we just stared and looked at that. And I said, I will remember this the rest of my life. It is the most beautiful place I have ever seen in my life.
life? Well, the Bible says that what I saw there has nothing to compare, come on, for what God has prepared for those that love him. Listen, think of your greatest vacation. I mean, it's on the beach, nobody there to bother you. You snap your fingers and you get whatever you want. The sun is just right so you don't burn and you can lay out all day. Listen, that's got nothing on a real place called heaven. I am telling you, friends, I has not seen, ear has not heard, nor entered into the heart of man the thing that God has prepared for us. Come on, because we're living the all-in Christian life. Give him a big hand today. Now, let me take the last 10 minutes and answer the last question. What are we going to do in heaven? Now, I got to be honest with you. When I was a child, I didn't want to go to heaven. And it was not because I was on a highway to hell, okay? You got it. That was my only joke. Man, highway to hell, you know, all the rock and rollers know what I'm talking about. Now, I was about seven or eight years old, and I had gone to church. It was the mega church in Love Station, Mississippi. It's a little Methodist church. It had five pews on each side. And I'm assuming that was my second joke, just went at mega church. I'm assuming the preacher talked about heaven because I remember talking with my mom about heaven in the car on the way home. And I told her I didn't want to go because I didn't want to sit on a cloud and play a harp. <laughs> I was a boy. I didn't play with Barbies. And harps, music was not for me. Real men played football in those days, and we didn't care about a concussion. I mean, you didn't even need a helmet. But here was the deal. I had this favorite TV show, and it was called Combat. If you're my age, you might remember it. And I was upset because I just didn't think I was going to be able to watch combat in heaven. And my whole view of heaven was distorted. And I want to share just a little bit. And here's the deal. The Bible doesn't talk a lot about what we're going to do. It talks about the place, but it doesn't talk a lot about what we're going to do. I'm going to share a couple things that relate specifically to you and God. And the third one that uh, will intrigue you. Uh, look at the first one. The first one is, uh, is very clear and unambiguous. Heaven is a place of worship of God. Now, here's a scene in heaven. Revelation 7, verse 11. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders. These are 24 elders. Scholars believe this represents the redeemed of humanity, every believing person, and four living creatures. So here we've got this throne that God sits on. You've got a multitude of angels. You've got a sea of people, and you've got these heavenly creatures. And notice what they do. They fell on their faces before the throne, and they, they worship God. See, this is why in some small measure we worship God today. And I want to challenge you, if you're one of those who are like I used to be, uh, I'm a little more, I, I, I like to engage God more through the Bible than prayer and in worship. So I have to, uh, discipline is, I have to be more disciplined in my prayer. But some people will come late to church because they, it's just the singing and they don't like to sing. And, and, and it's the Bible that they want to learn. Listen, the worship of God is one of the most central aspects of our Christian faith. And I want to encourage you to, to, to learn to engage in it now. Uh, it was hard for me because I was not raised to have a personal relationship with God that I could relate to him. When I worship today, I close my eyes often, not because I'm looking for a mystical experience. You distract me when I see you, so I'd rather just look at the Lord. Not look at the Lord, but I'd rather just kind of shut that out. But when you get to heaven and you're worshiping, now look at me on this one. When you sing a song like, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, you're going to be looking at Jesus face to face. 
And at some point in time, his eyes are going to catch yours. And at some point in time, for the first time in your whole life, Robert, he's going to look at you and he's going to smile. He's going to call your name for the first time in our worship. And, and who knows how that will catch us up. But that's a very clear thing that, we, that we, we're going to do in heaven is, is we'll see him. We'll engage him when we worship. Uh, here's the second one. This is the one that intrigues me. We'll rule and reign with Christ. We'll rule and reign with Christ. Revelation 22. Now, this is the last chapter of the Bible. The last few verses. Judgment day has already happened. New heaven, new earth. But listen to what it says. No longer will there be a curse on anything. If you want to know why there's mosquitoes and snakes and alligators and IRS agents and game wardens, it's all a part of the curse that Adam brought to the world. See, that was another one. I just wrote some yes. You think a preacher's a poacher. No, I'm just trying to get you to lighten up a little bit. No longer will there be a curse on anything. All that came from Eden. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there. That's Jesus. And his servants will worship him. We will see his face. And his name will be written on our foreheads. Who knows what that means? But verse 5, there'll be no night there, no need for lamps or sunshine, for the Lord will shine on them, and they will reign. Now, here's my question. What are we going to reign over? If all you're going to do is sit on a cloud and play harps, the Bible says, see, now earlier it talks about the saints reigning during what is likely the thousand-year millennial reign, but this is a forever and ever. Reigning has implications. Ruling and reigning has implications that there is something that I'm overseeing. There is something that I'm accountable for. There is something that I'm engaging in. There is something that I'm doing. Now, it's the, and when the Bible's not clear, we want to be careful we don't speculate too much, but in the parable of the, uh, parable of the talents in Matthew 25, this is alluded to again. Remember Matthew 25 when he talks about the kingdom of heaven? And it's like the master gave talents or he gave, he gave money to his servants to invest, five, two, and one. Well, here's what he said to the guy that had five. He said, uh, he said uh, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. M much of what? Much of what? Another parable that you're going to reign over a number of cities. Well, is this just some little spurious comment in a parable? Or does it suggest, as I believe it does, is that there's something we're going to reign over. Come on, something we're going to rule. Something we're going to do, a job to do in heaven. Let me take this one step further. Revelation 21, if you look there, this is after the great white throne judgment. John the Revelator said, I looked and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Well, when I studied that, the context of that word heaven, it's not talking about where God's going to live. It's talking about the first heaven, the sky, and there's going to be a new earth. And Peter wrote about that. Remember when Peter said that the earth will, and all the elements will be destroyed with fire, with fervent heat, they'll melt and burn up, and then there'll be a new heaven and a new earth? See, that's why I believe that you need to take care of our planet, but you don't need to be a planet worshiper because earth is, Mother Earth is not God. Come on. We need to take care of her, but she's not our God. God's going to give us a new one one day. Here's my question. For what? 
If in the last chapter or two of the Bible, God says, I'm going to recreate this whole thing. The curse is going to be gone. Brand new heaven. Hey, this is a pretty cool planet if you got rid of all the junk. If you drain the swamp of all the alligators, this is a pretty cool place to live. So anyway, that's something to think about. This was the most probing part to me in this message is God's got something out there that I'm going to be involved in and I'm going to do for all eternity. And the way I live for him on this earth will determine what that is. Come on, give him a big hand today. Let me wrap up. And arguably, here's the most important one, because since the Garden of Eden, God has wanted relationship with people. Let's talk about this fellowship with God. Revelation 21, verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne, and this voice said, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he'll dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now, look, if you want to circle something in your Bible as I do, I would circle God will be with them. Not just some authoritarian figure on this throne with people bowing down, but he's with us. This is a picture of a flashback to the Garden of Eden when in the cool of the day, God would come and walk through the garden with Adam and Eve. They had fellowship. They had relationship. But one day we're going to have Eden completed and we're going to be with him one more time. Jesus said it this way, John 14, my father's house has many mansions, many rooms. Now, this is not a 10,000 square foot home. Come on in the subdivision, okay? That was a misinterpretation. This word rooms, it is a relational term. It is, it, it is a term that embodies relationship between God and his people. Just like my wife shares a room with me. My kids share a room in my house. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, uh, I am going to prepare a place for you. Heaven has spatial elements to it. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm coming back. That's when he comes back, the resurrection or the rapture. And I'm going to take you to be with me. That where I am, there you will be. And God is going to be our friend, your friend, my friend, face to face. Come on, for all eternity. He is not just the God that's up there, but he is our God. You know, Jesus even referred to his followers as friends on one occasion. Wouldn't it be cool to have a relationship and call God your friend? Come on, give him a big hand today because that is what we're going to do in heaven. Well, listen, I'm done today. I want to close with prayer. But this whole series about being all in was based on a parable that said the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. And this treasure is so valuable that you need to do whatever you have to do to get it because this place called heaven is real. And no matter what it costs you on this earth, if you're someone in the Middle East, if you're a Coptic Christian and, and they say, deny this Jesus, and you say, you might take my life, but it'll only be for a moment and I'll be in the presence of the Lord forever. Go ahead and do a good job. Amen. And just like that, it's over. But you know what? If they hadn't have been beheaded, they might have only lived another week or year. They could have died of starvation. Come on. Or they'd have died of old age one day. Whatever it costs you, buy the field because heaven is our reward. Come on, give him a big hand today. He is worthy, worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me today and we're going to close with a prayer. I want every Christian today to bow their head and, and just say, 
okay, Lord, what are you saying to me? Because life on this earth is so quick and so short and so uncertain. Would you just pray a prayer that I cannot pray for you, but ask God to help you be all in? Ask the Lord to help earth not be too much of a home to you. Ask God to put eternity in your heart. Ask God to let the prospect of heaven compel you. Welcome, Holy Spirit, today. Come on, I sense the presence of the Lord now in this moment. Just give God a right to rearrange the tablet of your heart. Welcome, Holy Spirit, today. Could you just join me and just say, thank you, God, for the promise of eternal life. Could you just say, thank you, God, that I'm going to have a body that's not going to wear out one day. Thank you that bodies are going to resurrect from tombs. My grandma, my granddaddy, my husband, my wife, my kids, my friends, all those that died in Christ are coming back from the grave one day. Thank you, God. Thank you that I'm going to live forever in a real place called heaven. Thank you that this valley of the shadow of death will be quickened in a moment, and as soon as it's gone, I'm going to live forever because of Jesus. What a promise. And we're going to close today. I want to make a place for personal prayer. Maybe before you leave this building today, you just want someone to pray with you. Maybe you brought some struggles and issues, and, and you just need a person to pray with you. Listen, I fully understand. I've been prayed for a bunch today. Maybe someone in your world you care about a lot needs prayer. We'll pray for them. Maybe something this message really struck you, because maybe God is requiring something of you. It's, it's easy to say, I'm all in with my time until God asks for some of it. It's easy to say, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do until he tells you something specific. Maybe you're having a struggle and you just want to commit it to God and the altar. Let us do that. But the most important thing we could pray for would be this, is that you have a personal relationship with Christ. Because here's the, here's the shocking truth. Not everybody's going to heaven. Jesus himself said the road to heaven is a narrow path and few people find it. But the road to hell or judgment is a wide path and most folks are going down the wide path. You see... I, I, when I was raised in my little country church, I was grateful for it, grateful they taught me the Bible and about Jesus, but I, I just kind of thought you went to heaven because you're a good person. I didn't know that you had to receive Christ as your Savior. I didn't know that believing in Jesus meant following Him. I thought believing was just getting some old Bible facts in your head and the evidence is a changed life. But maybe this is what you're yearning for and longing for in your life today, a real relationship with God. You need to be saved. You want the assurance of eternal life would be honored to pray for you today. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, my relationship with God is not where it needs to be, but I want to do business to God and I want to do it right now. Our prayer team is going to come and slip up front right now, and I want to encourage you, if you want prayer for anything, just come and join them right now. Come on, prayer team, slip on up here with me. You need prayer for anything, just come on up. You make a commitment, that's it, come on up, let us pray for you. You need to make a commitment of your life to Christ, come let us pray. Get your spiritual life where it needs to be, come let us pray with you, let us help you. God is here. Come on, Pastor. Begin to sing right now. We'll sing one time and dismiss. But you want prayer, you come and let us pray for you. I love you. Thanks for being here.